Warning! The following stories are based on actual historical events. It should be noted, however, the women telling these stories are completely stoned. Viewer discretion advised. Okay. Hi guys. I'm April. And I'm Madison. And this is High Herstory. High Herstory. Change locations this week. <laughs> We're digging the vibe. We're here in the basement. We're in the middle of a Midwest thunderstorm. <laughs> it's super fun. Yeah, but we're we're loving, and I don't mean that sarcastically. No, we're digging this it. basement vibe. Yeah, we worked hard to make this a space that we loved. Yeah, look I'm at not, us go. Never utilizing it. I know. Who knew that this was the perfect podcast space? <laughs> we didn't even know we were going to do this. <laughs> I love. You know our little setup. Yeah, it's so cute. Okay, cute. This is like exactly how we are in the garage. I know. <laughs> it's just a different table. Yeah. Anyway. But we feel, let's just say we feel bougier. Yeah. On our plush rug. Yeah. With our mood lighting. Yeah. And look at little Jimmy just chilling on the couch. Yeah. Just chomping on her paws. Oh, I thought she was playing with her hedgy. Well, she was. All right. Anyway. This week, National Parks. Yeah. I really enjoyed my story. So I bounced around and I looked at about a billion different things. Same. And I found like 15 places that I really want to go. Same. (laughs) Because, holy cow, I didn't know that there were places in the U.S. that were that beautiful. Yeah. And I just didn't even know half of them. I know. Some of them, I was just like, I never heard of this. I know. Just like I told you, like, the Gateway Arch is a national park. What? Yeah. Well, that was more of I a know. disappointment than I... I know. Um, yeah. But I chose to talk about Mammoth Cave National Park. Okay. In Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And more specifically, I talk about Stephen Bishop, because you cannot talk about Mammoth Cave... Without talking about Stephen Bishop. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Do you so, love him? He, I mean, not in like a... I know. But he's just like... He's just such a, a good person. You'll see. You'll okay. See. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Mammoth Cave is the longest cave system in the world. I mean, we're talking 412 miles Holy shit. of underground passageways stacked on, like, five levels. It's, like... That is so cool. Crazy big. Oh, that scares me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No one knows how big it actually is because be- they're estimating that there are still, like, 600 miles that could be unexplored. How do you even explore it? Like, wh- that's so insane. Yeah. So, so just like a little, a little bit about, oh, now I have the squeaky chair. <laughs> okay. I will, okay. I just needed I'm to readjust. I'm loving our thunder vibe background we've got going. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a murder mystery, we swear. Yeah. It's very tranquil. I, personally, I like the sound of a storm, but I mostly like the sound of rain. Yeah. Rain is chef's kiss. Yeah. So good. Anyway. 
That's why we're always sitting on the porch. <sighs> I know. But we can't do that and do a podcast. There's way too much noise. Yeah. So, Mammoth Cave, what they've explored so far, they have found every type of cave formation. So, we're talking stalactites. And if you, like me, Jimmy, get on the couch. Stop sniffing everything. Why are you sniffing everything? This is the rug that was in the living room for almost two years. Jimmy, stop. Ugh. So, stalactites are the ones that hang from the ceiling, and they're formed by the precipitation of minerals in the water that's dripping throughout the cave. So, it's like as the water drips down, as it forms, it, like, you know, the water evaporates, but the minerals stay solidified. Okay. And then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. Until it's just okay. this massive, like, icicle-looking rock formation. What a little weirdo. Playing with her gal. Gemma. Like, why are you cheating? Oh, now she's got her narwhal. Yep. That's so cute. Okay. So. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to turn it this way, actually. Okay. So, they have stalactites. And they have stalagmites. I said they have every type of cake formation. So those are the ones that grow, like, because they drips from the ceiling. Right, so they like, just get taller. I'm like, yeah, I'm, like, picturing the... And they, you know, like, look, like, like droopy like, and... Yeah. Yeah. So, um... And then they also have gypsum flowers. And if you have a... If you... If you're into this and you like geology, if I... Scrolled and it took me to a different one. Um, look up gypsum flowers because I was like, what do these look like? How can I describe them? Right. They are, like, scientifically described as curving fibrous crystals that radiate outward from a growth center. They look like weird, funky air plants growing out of holes in the cave walls, but it's like crystals. It's so weird. And they look like they are just, like... Like, they were squeezed out, like, they're just, oh like, curled over. Or, like, spiked out. Yeah, it's so weird. You should look them up. It's crazy. But they're crystals. That sounds so cool. Yeah. And you can see them in the caves? Like, when you, mm. if you tore them? I don't know. I didn't look that up. Oh, okay. Sorry. I should have, because... I, I don't know. Because I, I definitely didn't go that deep into my park. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So... I was trying to have enough to talk about, and <laughs> I found just teens too much. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself. <laughs> no, on. you're doing great. Okay, so that's why I said they look like creepy crystal air plants growing out of a cave wall. <laughs> <laughs> and there are over 130 species of wildlife. You wouldn't think that. Yeah. So that's like you know, like plants and animals. Yeah. Because you know. Plant-like things grow in caves. So, there's evidence that shows that the Native Americans explored the first three levels of the cave about 2,000 to 4,000 years ago. Like, they found their, you know, like... And they, like, dated them. Markings on the walls, yeah. And so, after the U.S., decimated the Native American population. Uh-huh. Yeah, like like the U.S. does. <sighs> yes. Um, 
the cave kind of fell out of known existence until the 1790s, and then it was rediscovered. Ew, Jonah. Gosh, you have no manners. Yeah, even fucking Thunder was mad. (laughs) Yeah. So, in the 1790s, it was actually discovered because um, you could mine it for nitrates, which um, is like saltpeter, which is made into gunpowder. Oh. And so it was mined by slaves in the War of 1812. Very interesting. Yeah. And so you can actually see where some of the old mine stuff is. They still preserved all of that, I think. Wow. Like what was intact so that you could still see what the operation was. That's cool. Yeah. But I mean... It's like, it's like a captured piece of history. Yeah. And so, after the War of 1812, you know, it was over in what? I don't remember what we said. 1812. Yeah, know. anyway. <laughs> so. Actually, I think we got sidetracked and we didn't look it up. Because we, because no, we started with World War One. No, I remember looking it up because it was like, I want to say like 1814 or 1816. I don't remember. Because... People began to talk about the caves in 1816, and that's when tours started. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, at one time, there was even a church in the cave. Oh, my gosh. I know. Like, how... People were crazy. So, eventually, the land was claimed from the United States, because, you know... The U.S. does what the U.S. does. As they do. Uh, Mammoth Cave was purchased for $5,000. By Franklin Goring. Cool. And he was a lawyer. And he wanted to turn the cave into a tourist attraction. So, at this time, when he bought it, only eight miles of passages were known. And when he got to the estate, um, that's when... Um, 17-year-old Stephen Bishop was taken. Hold on. Stephen Bishop came to Mammoth Cave as a slave. And Franklin Gorin was his owner. Okay. So, Stephen was thought to be the son of a white Kentucky farmer. Lowry Bishop and oh I have it right here Stephen Bishop he ended up at Mammoth Cave because Franklin Gorin his owner was Lowry Bishop's attorney for his divorce his wife divorced him and sued him on the grounds of adultery Hmm. cool so what I think he did is had relations of some sort with a member of his household staff Mm. and it resulted in this child so um Lowry said that his estate so Stephen Bishop was considered part of his estate and so 
Lowry said in his will that his estate could be used to settle his attorney's fees in the case of his death. So he died. Uh-huh. And Stephen must have been considered part of the estate. So he was sent to Franklin Gorin and he's like, all right, like I have this 17 year old slave. We're opening a tourist attraction at Mammoth Cave. Um, oh my gosh. So Stephen was trained to be a cave guide by the superintendent, the former superintendent of mining. So, I mean, he wasn't just like thrown in there like with, you know, a fucking torch. And right. He was, tra- he was trained about safety and, and things like that. I mean, he was a slave. Yeah, I'm sure he was. That just sucks. Yeah. So he was, um, so he was trained and he really had a knack for it. And he was (laughs) wicked smart. So after he picked it up and he was there for a little bit, he trained um, Matt Bransford and Nick Bransford. So it's actually, his name is Madison like M A T T I S O N Madison, but he goes by Matt. Uh huh. I don't know. Jimmy, can you just go sit on the couch? Yeah, please? can you just fucking chill? Jeez. Just chill. Knock down a pillow and take a nap. So, um, they're not brothers or related in any way. Um, but Matt Bransford and Nick Bransford were leased to Gorin. By their owner for $100 a year. Oh my god! For their labor. So, um, Stephen Bishop, he used ropes and lanterns to explore, and he discovered tunnels, caverns, and he went sailing on the cave rivers. That is so cool. Yeah. So, um, it's clear now... Like, it's all clear of rubble, and you can, you know, go through. It's, you know, lit up with electrical lights. But when he was exploring, like, he had to work against sinkholes. And he had, and cracks, and fissures, boulders, domes, and underwater springs. Like, water flew, flowed through this cave. Mm-hmm. And in one of the connection points somewhere, I forget where, I remember reading about it, but I was like, I... It's too too much. much. So I cut it. Um but yeah, there was something about so I mean he had to be he had to be really careful. Yeah. And he had to be able to kind of read <clears throat> some of the signs of what was going on around there so that he could kind of guesstimate when it would be safe for him to you yeah, know, be there. Absolutely. And he developed a memory map of the caves. Holy shit. Because he spent so much time exploring them. And so, some of the, so the, the map that he made was used for decades. That is so cool. Yeah. And he was actually given credit. Very nice. As a slave. For his work. I'm sure he was not paid for it. Yeah. But he was given credit. Yeah. Reparations. Oh my god. Hopes and dreams. We can't. We can't. Okay. So, some of the branches that he explored and that he put on this map as, you know, like, potential connections or potential leads for the cave 
weren't found again until modern equipment was invented. Like, he did the most. He, like, how? How how incredible is he? Oh my gosh. So, in some parts of the caves, you can see, like, names smoked onto the ceiling with, like, a candle. Uh And, um, Jerry Bransford, so he's the great-great-grandson of Matt Bransford. Okay. He's actually a current cave guide there. Oh my gosh. And he sees that he, like, in one of the interviews that I read, he said that he sees their names in places that he's scared to go now with modern equipment and safety. Oh my gosh. They were daredevils, apparently. Like, they were going in there with, like, ropes. Oh my gosh. (laughs) These people were insane. Yeah. So, Stephen became an expert on Mammoth Cave. And he, so he was a tour guide. He was taking people on these tours that would last sometimes like 18 hours. Like he would take them through the caves. How do you not go insane? He, he just, I don't know. So one, one of the, one of the things that I read was one of the tours that he was giving, um, a visitor offered him a fistful of money. I'll give you a fistful of money if you take me somewhere that, like, take me somewhere new. And so Bishop, Stephen Bishop, was like, okay. So he decided to cross the bottomless pit. It's 105 feet. And it is a deep, deep, deep cavern. So deep that when they drop lanterns down or torches down... They don't, they're, they can't see light. Oh my gosh. And what, he crossed it with what, a rope? A ladder. 105 feet. Mm-hmm. Deep cavern with a ladder. Absolutely fucking not. <clears throat> he carried the lantern in his teeth and he crawled Across to the, the other ladder. side. Did anyone follow him? Yeah, that man. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna just... You suck. Yeah, that man's like, take me somewhere new. I don't care if if I perish. This is what I asked for. People are fucking crazy. Yeah. And so, um, so, like I said, he was an expert. And when he was developing this map, he discovered so many things. And he named a lot of them. And some of the names are still what these parts of the cave are named to this day. That's super cool. Yeah. So he he found Fat Man's Misery, which is an ancient riverbed with narrow winding passages that he had to crawl through. That's kind of funny. But he was a slim dude. Um, Like a very athletic build. Oh, I'd imagine. Walking through all those caves all the dang time. Yeah. Um, and it was filled with silt. So he had to dig his way through. Um, And so he kept going and kept going. And the ceiling started to get lower and lower and lower. And so then he came to Tall Man's Misery. (laughs) So that's what that was called. Because, you know, he was stooped and stooped and stooped until, you know, he was, like, crouching and, you know, like, army crawling. (laughs) 
Um, and so he came out on the other side of the tunnel and named the area Great Relief Hall. <laughs> and that's still its name. <laughs> Which I thought was perfect. I love that. Um, so he also discovered Lake Lithy, the River Styx, and Echo Rivers. And, like, these lakes are on the bottom level of the cave, 360 feet below the surface. They are deep. Deep rivers. And he, he carried... What fucking animals are in that? He found some creatures. Oh. Um... But he carried... That makes me Gemma, so uncomfortable. Get on the couch. Just, can you chill, please, for a little bit? Yeah, Cleo's had no chill the entire time we've been down here. I know. Like, she doesn't freaking live down here. <laughs> yeah, so he actually, like, carried scraps to make boats. So he carried them through the caves to get... So that he could sail these rivers. When I say sail, he was like, like the most rudimentary boat that you can think of. Right. Because he was building it in a cave. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't imagine it would be like. He could, you know. A hundred foot ship. Yeah. So, so while he was down there in his expeditions and his exploring, he found eyeless fish. Fish with no eyes. And he found something that are named cave crayfish crayfish mm-hmm. both of them are blind and bone white that makes me uncomfy yeah yucky so um so Franklin Gorin bought this place in 1838. Uh-huh. One year later, <laughs> he sells it to John Crogan. With? Crowan. What's his face? With the? Including Stephen. Okay. For ten grand. Oh, I guess he made a profit. Yeah. And so the guy that bought it is the nephew of William Clark of Lewis and Clark. Oh. <laughs> um... And he actually wanted the caves to set up shop for uh, tuberculosis research. He had some theory that the cave air was so pure and the vapors in the in the cave were pure and they would cure people with TB. So these men would be doing their... They had to build like little huts in the cave for these TB patients. And they, they were supposed to live in them for like three months. But the experiment got shut down after three weeks. Yeah, I can't imagine that was going to go well. Yeah. And so, like, these men, Stephen was taking, he, he was, like, doing all of these tours and stuff, and they would have to, you know, like, go by there. And so, you know, he would take them and show them, like, where the TB patients were. I mean, he didn't, like, take them in. But, like, some people that were exposed would come out and, like, talk and cough, and it would expose them. Jeez. Yeah. So... It didn't last very long, but he continued to be a cave guide, and he became known far and wide. Like, he was famous. Like, people would talk about him, and they're like, listen, if you ever go to Mammoth Cave, 
there are a few different guides that you can choose from. Try to get Steven. Like, he was damn good at his job. Oh, my gosh. And like I said, he was wicked smart. Yelp before Yelp. Yeah. So, by the time, like, by the time of his death, he was incredibly educated. So, I mean, you have to think, like, in 1839, for a slave, it was not very common to be able to read and know how to read right. and write. Yeah. So, he, by the, so by the time of his death, he could speak some Greek and Latin, he could read and write, and he was incredibly knowledgeable at geology. Like, a lot of people that came on tours, um, some of them were famous, and some of them were scientists, and they were going there to talk to him about the cave, because he knew it. He knew the caves, and so they were just like, teach us everything you know about oh these caves. Oh my gosh. Like, how cool. That is so cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, and so they think that because he was a tour guide, he could earn tips. So they think that over the years, he was just stashing that cash. That comes up later. Okay, okay. But anyway, so... The, Foreshadowing. <laughs> so I told you, the tours were, like, physically grueling. They lasted, like, mm-hmm. 18 hours. Yeah, insane. Could not have met them. <clears throat> um but you have to think like he was a slave he was an enslaved man mm-hmm. but as a tour guide he was entrusted with the safety and well-being of the people that were going on these cave tours right but he couldn't even eat with them yeah like bullshit <clears throat> fast forward 1842. Okay. Stephen Bishop was invited to Locust Grove, John Krogan's estate. Okay. So the guy who owned the Mammoth now, Cave. Yeah. Okay. And by extension, him. And so he was invited up there to draw the map, to draw his memory map. Oh. Yeah. And because there was some guy up there, um, who published um, Rambles in Mammoth Cave during the year 1844, and it was Alexander Clark Bullitt. So he, like, talked to Stephen Bishop, like, while he was, like, drawing the map and, you know, like, talked to him all about his experiences, and he was given credit for this. Oh, my gosh. And so the map, they said, was very accurate in terms of, like, topography And the relationship of the cave's branches, like, like if you were, you know, to like look at it from the top on Mm -hmm. a map, you know, he had a pretty good understanding of where everything went. Um, But they said it was like less accurate in terms of like actual distances. Mm. But I'm just like, they're saying it's remarkably accurate for its time. And it was actually used for like over 50 years. Jeez. But you have to think, it was a fucking map that he drew from memory. And you're going to be like, it's not very accurate. From memory. And while going through it. Like, he's drawing it top to you for them. Having having only gone through it. Yeah. Crazy. So, so while he was at Locust Grove, he met Charlotte. Okay. She was another... 
she was a slave that worked at Locust Grove for John Krogan. And they were married. He's like, you know, we vibing. Okay. And so she moved with him and they lived together in the slave quarters near Mammoth Cave and she worked at the hotel that was there because it was turned into a tourist attraction. I mean, he was giving tours for people that were staying at the hotel. Hmm. So when he was there and, you know, he was exploring and he was still discovering and naming things the whole time he was there, he never stopped doing that. Yeah. Um, he, he actually took Charlotte through the caves and he took her to what's described as a fairy-like section of the cave filled with gypsum flowers and he it he named it charlotte's grotto oh and he drew a heart on the wall and he wrote stephen bishop m cave guide comma mrs charlotte bishop 1943 and then next to it he wrote mrs charlotte bishop flower of mammoth cave And the heart can still be seen, but it's not part of the current tour. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like, I want to see this very, How dare like, you place. take that from me? Yeah. That sounds absolutely freaking beautiful and we can't see it? Yeah. It's horseshit. I know. We should riot. We should. Yeah. Because, I mean, go what a guy. It. Go pick at Mammoth Cave <clears throat> and say, what's his name, Stephen? Yeah. Stephen would want us to see it. He would, because... He loved Charlotte, and he he took that for her. That is so beautiful. What a gesture. Well, then maybe he wouldn't want us to see it. Anyway, I don't know. So, in 1849, John Krogan died. Okay. In his will, it stated that the 28 people that were enslaved on as part of his estate and, you know, the cave, would be freed seven years after his death. And I'm just like, that's fucking horse shit yeah that's like rude get like get the like, fuck out of here with one that. last slap after death <clears throat> yeah i don't fucking think so and so charlotte and steven actually had like saved up enough money that they were actually gonna like buy their emancipation a year early and go to liberia because oh. they were like we don't want none of this yeah, like, if we can be free a year early, then we're going to be free. And so everyone's like, oh, there he's going to go to Liberia. That's sad. Oh, they're moving. That's sad. Anyway, it turns out they didn't end up doing that. So in 1856, they were emancipated. And in July of 1857, they sold the 112 acres that they owned near the cave. I'm just like, that would have been such an incredible legacy. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. But that would have been so cool. Yeah. And then a few months later, um, Stephen died from tuberculosis. Oh, that he contracted from the fucking TB caves that he had to take people by. Fucking blows. They say mysterious illness, but they were like, yeah, we think it's TB. Fucking cool. I know. But before his death, he had still gone exploring in the caves, and he actually discovered a new section of the cave that um, 
and it extended the explored passageways um, to 11 miles. Ooh. Um, so when Stephen died, he was buried in an unmarked grave in front of Mammoth Cave. Unmarked? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But in 1878, millionaire James Mellon, he came and he told Charlotte that he would send her a headstone. And so she waited and waited and waited. And finally, John James Mellon had gotten back to somewhere after doing something. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, shit, I never sent that lady a headstone for her husband. I'm a millionaire, but I'm going to be a fucking cheapskate. He sent her an unclaimed Civil War headstone that had the name scratched out, and they put his name in. Wow. Yeah. He's a fucking millionaire, and that's all he can do. And they got his date, his date of death wrong by two years. They said they had it in 1879, but he died in 1877. That's bullshit. I know. I think. Yeah. Anyway, bullshit. So, to wrap to wrap me up, because mm-hmm. I know I'm way over my time. Bite in minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, in 1972, modern explorers discovered a connection between the neighboring... Flint Ridge cave system to the northeast of Mammoth Cave. And the Mammoth Cave end of the connection was actually indicated as a passage lead on Stephen Bishop's map. So he shown so I have it here. He had shown the key to connecting two major components of the longest cave in the world. 130 years before the connection was made. Oh my gosh. How? He was just... Clearly fucking amazing. Yeah. And like some of the stuff that I was reading um, was saying that like people always asked him. Like there are books about him and movies about Uh him. Um, But like people would ask him, do you like the caves? And he always... It's like described as like gloomy something and something but they just could never kind of like feel how like gauge how he felt about them like he Uh. knew so much and he spent so much time there but it's like was he consumed by them and did he like love them or was this something he was forced to do but also yeah that grandson that's still a current cave explorer Uh he said he could see the draw of working in the caves because in the caves, you were free to, to be on your own, and you could be your own man while you were in the cave, and to be your own man while you're enslaved, who wouldn't choose that? Yeah. And so it was, you know, the three of those men that would tour and that would do these explorers, like, ex- explorations with, so it was Matt and Nick. Yeah, and they, they gotta go just do, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, I, can, I completely understand why they would want to. I just thought that was so incredible. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah. And, like, it became... And I didn't even write when it became a national park. (laughs) (laughs) I 
just realized that. That's okay. I'm so glad because my thing about being being a national park is literally like that much. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot to to put the time, the year that it became a national park. So I can't give you that information. Sorry. I hope you weren't coming here for that. I'm sure it's a quick Google search. Mm-hmm. But I just thought the story of Steven discovering these caves was so much cooler. Yeah, it was so fucking cool. That's what I told you. I was so excited to tell you mine. Mine is going to pale in comparison. No, it's... (laughs) No, I I went way over, but I was just like, this this man was enslaved, and look what he fucking did. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine the skill it takes to have a map of caves that long in your freaking head yes holy shit like i can't i can't comprehend that because i my brain would never like the spatial awareness like Mm -hmm. that's why i said smart 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 insane yeah and i'm just so glad that that he was able to get some of that credit like i gotta be careful (laughs) because i get too emotional reel it in yeah but i'm just so glad that he got credit for what he contributed to academia. Yeah, it's absolutely. the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Like and it's like and he's clearly he's very well known. Yeah. Like he wasn't forgotten. That makes me so happy. I can <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just get all emotional about it. But yeah, so that's my story. <laughs> A mammoth cave. I liked it. I'm glad. I like Steven. I know. I was I was very happy with it. Okay, so that's where we're at. Hopefully my it's short enough. <laughs> okay, so I'm only went over by seven minutes. That's not as bad as I thought it was. Okay. So oh god. It's like I held my spit. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't that was not me. <laughs> Yeah. You did not make it's me do habit. That. <laughs> okay. So my topic is about dry tortugas. I told you I wanted <clears throat> to do it, and then I kind of went back, but then I found some interesting stuff. Oof! Yay! I'm excited. But look how cute she is. Oh my god! I know. She's being so precious. I can't say her name. I know, but she is just laying so cutely on her side on the couch, cuddled up, so mm. snuggled up, so cute. Okay, so the Dry Tortugas, they're like a collection of islands, an island group, 70 miles west of Key West, Florida. Okay. So, like, if you were, like, pretty zoomed out, you probably wouldn't see them. Yeah, because Key Key West even is kind of, like, islands off the coast. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's a little, you know, further west. Mm -hmm. They were discovered by... Juan Ponce de Leon <laughs> in 1513. Okay, what said, episode of Drunk History was he from? Um, Because all I imagined was Ponce de Leon. Yes, I said it correctly. Because she, then she goes, and how the white people say it. Ponce, Ponce de Leon. <laughs> yes! And I'm like, that's probably how I would have said it, okay? So I changed it. I changed it. I said it correctly. Yeah, I liked that girl, but I don't remember what story she told. I don't either. She all got I, wine all drunk. All I know is that... She's wearing a really cute shirt. The guy from Jackass plays... Johnny Knoxville. Plays... Yes, Johnny Knoxville. Plays... Plays him. Ponce de Leon. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. That's the thing I remember from that episode. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. That's okay. 
So Ponce de Leon called the islands Las Tortugas because they had a huge population of sea turtles. I'm like, original one. <laughs> um, the name was then changed to Dry Tortugas because it was to warn people that there was no fresh water on the island. Mm. Uh, so really they weren't. It was not inhabitable. They were not habitable, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like, obviously this island's been known about for a really long time. Especially because the occupation of Florida happened pretty quickly by, yeah. you know, by Spain. Um, Florida. Yeah, La Florida. That was the episode! It's when they discover Florida. It's when he Ow! discovers Florida. That's what the episode is. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, we got there eventually. Yeah. Go us. <laughs> so obviously the U.S. knew about this place. And because of their location, if, like, used correctly, it could put them at a strategic advantage. Um, Because the shipping route that would go to the Gulf was confined to the deep waters that were within a cannon shot of the island. Ew. So anybody, like, doing, like, trading... Um, or if they were trying to attack the Gulf, they would have to go through there. And they're like, nah. (laughs) Um, so they realized that, like, okay, we need to, like, maximize this. Mm -hmm. So they, like, oh my gosh, I jumped, I jumped. Okay, so the construction of Fort Jefferson started in 1846 and was made up of 16 million handmade bricks. 16 million! What? And they were placed by hand. Guessing, you guessed it, slave labor. 16 million bricks. 16 million. And it was this crazy thing, I didn't write it down, but there was this crazy thing where... Um, because like they're doing this construction and obviously it's taking forever because they're doing it by hand. Yeah. Um, and the civil war starts and so they are unable to get the red bricks. And so they have, they're having bricks sent from like somewhere else. And so you can see there's a distinct color change in the bricks on the Fort Jefferson. Huh. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it was made with slave labor. Not great. Yeah. When the Civil War broke out, it wasn't done. Um, and, you know, they had other things on their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't so much worried about an external attack as they were an internal attack. But throughout the war, even though it was, you know, on the coast of Florida, it remained the Union territory. It was always Union. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> the whole time. But again, I mean, nobody lived there. It was just their territory. Um, So they started using... Because, I mean, it was basically built. They just didn't have, like, fine fine details done. It just wasn't really habitable. Um, They started using it as a prison. (laughs) Cool. Um, One of the most famous prisoners to be sent there... Mm -hmm. Was Dr. Samuel Mudd. Samuel Mudd. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I know who that is is from National Treasure 2. 
Oh, that's why you were excited. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Because you remember the reference where Nick Cage is, like, talking to Riley, and he's like, you know the expression, his name is Mud? And I'm in my head, I'm going, no. And Riley says, yes, of course I do. And I'm, I feel like an idiot. And because I said no, too. (laughs) And then, you know, Nick Cage goes on to explain, you know, that he was pardoned after being a conspirator in the Lincoln assassination. If you can't tell, I love the National Treasure movies. (laughs) You know that. I do know that. And now so does everyone else. Whoever listens yeah, to Yeah, our, our listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he was convicted of assisting in the conspiracy to kill Lincoln. Um, so you know when John Wilkes Booth shoots Lincoln, jumps out of the boot, jumps out of the... The... Opera box. Yeah, the thing. <laughs> I don't know what I thought waving my hand was going to be. The theater be. box. The or... theater box. And he breaks his ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes to the good old Dr. Sam. And he not only sets his ankle, he, like, keeps him for the night. Harbors what? him while he's a freaking fugitive. Fugitive. Good <laughs> lord. Fugitive. Yeah, harbors him. So that's why he gets sentenced. But his sentence was a little harsh. I mean, all he did was really his medical necessity as a doctor. But, I mean, it's also still not great. I'm not condoning that. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, his sentence was life, which just seemed a tad extreme. In a fair sentencing, I mean, he didn't mm. murder him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess he did just harbor the guy. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he didn't know. Yeah. I mean, because, like, well, from what I read, I mean, I only read very briefly, but from what I read, he had only had, like, two or three interactions, known interactions, with John Wilkes Booth before the assassination. Hmm. So, I don't know. Interesting. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, he was sent to... Where are we at? Okay. He was sent to... Fort Jefferson, the prison. Um, but he was later pardoned by Andrew Johnson because apparently there was this yellow fever outbreak in 1869. And because he was a doctor, he was, like, really fucking helpful, I guess. Yeah. So he got pardoned. Hmm. Okay. Which I don't know how I feel about that because that was only four years. Okay, I was going to ask because, how far into his sentence. Because, I mean, I was 1869, and that's when he was pardoned. Um, he was, you know, Lincoln assassinated in 65. So, four fucking years, and that's even if he got caught right away. Mm-hmm. Not long enough. No. Life was too long, but that was not long enough. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, like, like a solid 10, 15. 15 years. Yeah, I was comfortable with 15. It was 1869. He probably would have been dead in 15 years. I know. Like, <laughs> maybe that's why it was life. Yeah. <laughs> like, one way or another. Okay. Yeah, and especially in their terrible conditions. Yeah, so at this point, I mean, we're, like, this is just, like, really cool things that are associated with this place, which is why, we, you know, it's now a national land- landmark, because mm-hmm. so many cool things happened here. Um, in this... <laughs> 
it was only 70 miles, like I said, from Key West. Um, so a lot of people that would, like, visit Key West would take boats there to, like, fish, do, like, deep-sea fishing. Um, one of those people was Ernest Hemingway, because he spent a lot of time in the Florida Keys. Um, he would take his mob. Not (laughs) Not his mom. Not his mom. (laughs) So funny. I just love that. (laughs) Yes. His mob. His, I don't know what they call it. His Key West mob. Hmm. Um, and they'd go fishing. And why, like, like, they went a lot. And then one of the last times they went, they ended up getting caught in this storm and getting marooned at Fort Jefferson for 17 days. And they had, luckily they had enough, like, food and liquor, and they had a pretty, probably a pretty decent time, I'd imagine, just waiting for the storm to clear. Because it said they, like, took ship, took, either got, took ship to shore or something? I don't know. Huh. Um, so around these islands, there's a lot of, like, coral reefs, which is another reason it's an, it's a national park, because, mm. um... There are a lot of them, and so they're trying to preserve them because they're very unique ecosystems. Yay! But because of the coral reefs and how big they are, there are lots of shipwrecks. Mm. Um, but there was one that was, like, really cool. It was the last story I found. Yeah? <laughs> um, so this discovery happened in 1985, and the ship was the Nuestra Señora de Atoka. Okay. Don't ask me to translate that. I looked at it once and I forgot. So, that's what it's called, but I'm going to call it the Atoka. Okay. That, it was referenced as the Atoka, so I feel comfortable yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, so, the ship sank in between Key West and the Dry Tortugas. So, like, not super far off, but it did hit one of those Reef. coral reefs. Okay. Uh, and then it's shit. This shit. No. <laughs> the it, shit. The ship sank. Uh, in 1622. So this ship was old. Hella old. Yeah. Uh, it's a Spanish ship. And when it sank, it lost all of its passengers. 265, except for three sailors and two slaves. How did they survive? They hung on to, like, some piece of the ship. I don't know, until they were, like, found. Because, like, it was, like I said, it was a popular trade route, so... They were eventually found. They hung on to something. Um, so this shipwreck was discovered by Mel Fisher. I meant to click on his name to figure out if he was significant, and I forgot. Mm. Um, and his company, so like he had like a treasure solving company. Mm. Uh, and they had been looking for this ship since 1969. So the reason they were looking for this ship was because it was part of a 28-ship convoy that was carrying a shit ton of treasure. Ah! Shit ton. A real-life treasure ship story? Real life. Hell yeah. So, treasure hunting is so cool to I me. know, I know. That's why I love Fool's Gold. I know. It's such a good movie. But I also, I just really love... Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson together. I know, <laughs> Something I Something about them. I, I would totally be okay if they did another movie together. I know, me too. Maybe they'll hear this. <laughs> and they'll do one. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Solid guys. Please. Um, okay, yeah. So, it got caught up in a hurricane. 
Only eight ships sank, though. But the problem was is that every ship had a shit ton of treasure on it. Yeah. Um, so even the eight ships that sank, they were like, oh, no. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, so when they were loading them, I don't remember where they were loading them. I didn't write it down. Uh, but they were loading them to, like, set sail to go to Spain. And it was so much treasure that it took them two months to be able to document everything and get it on the ship. To get it on the Atoka. Damn. Just for inventory? Yes. Just for in- inventory. It's estimated that the Atoka alone carried approximately 250 to $500 million worth of treasure. <laughs> Caught mouth real bad. Damn! Yeah. I mean, this ship was fucking loaded. Literally. Yeah. So, Mel's treasure solvers actually had, because, you know, the fucking U.S. being the U.S., they had to fight the government to get the rights to this, because the government didn't fund shit. Mm -hmm. They did this with their money and their time, and they found it. Yeah. And they had to fight the government to be able to get... Compensation. What? Yeah. Like from museums and things. I or like I don't know. Historical. I didn't read it all. For... But I mean, like, they were like trying to really like jip them, basically telling them that everything that they found was property of the state. What? Yeah. Mm, that's bullshit. Yeah. Um. So there was a shit, like I said, a shit ton of treasure. There was silver from Peru and Mexico. Gold and emeralds from Colombia, um, and pearls from Venezuela. And they talked about being like 125 gold bars, 150, you know, silver things, like a shit ton of stuff. Dang. So much. Um, so obviously, like, they continue going back to dive in this place because there's so much that they haven't yeah. uncovered. Um, but in 2011, member of members of Mel Fisher's treasure salvers. Um, because Mel, de- Mel died in like ninety mm. something. Um, but his business found an emerald ring from the wreck that is worth five hundred thousand dollars. Damn. A ring. Damn. Can you imagine how big that emerald is? Five hundred thousand dollars. There we go. Insane. I mean, so this island is just really just. It's seen some shit. Popping, yeah. It has seen a man party with Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> it's been seen treasure just sink to the damn bottom of the ocean. <laughs> so, yeah. In, this is my final little bloop about it being a national park. <laughs> in 1992, uh, Dry Tortugas was declared a national park. Fort Jefferson was declared, like, a national monument or something for, like, a hot minute. Mm-hmm. And then they just made it into the national park. Gotcha. So, it's established to preserve, like, obviously the island and the island's um, animal population. Ecosystems. Yeah. Um, that's, okay, yeah. But also the marine ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, like, I talked about the coral reefs. Ninety nine percent of the national of the national park is actually water. It's most of the coral reefs. Yeah. Um, 
the actual total land area of the park is only 104 acres. So it's like pretty small. But I was reading, this is, I didn't write this down, but just if we ever, if anyone ever wanted to visit, um, you can like all in one price, take a ferry from, from the Florida Keys to the island. You can tour Fort Jefferson, which looks super fucking cool. (laughs) Um, and you can see where Dr. Samuel Mudd's cell was. Um, you can tour, yeah, so you can tour Fort Jefferson and you can scoot, you get to go scuba, scuba swimming. It's not really diving. Cause it's like the snorkel, snorkeling. Yeah. <laughs> snorkeling. Yeah, I got there. Scuba Snor- swimming. <laughs> yeah, scuba swimming. <laughs> very good. <laughs> I got there. Um, Jesus. Um, so yeah, you can go, and it, it, like snorkeling is included and then a, a ferry ride back, which I thought was cool. I'm like, yeah. I kind of want to visit. That is very cool. Um, so many of the shipwrecks, because like I said, there's a shit ton of shipwrecks. Um, and some of them are, like, visible, and you can snorkel around them. What? Yeah, I think. <clears throat> Have they it. been preserved in any way? Um, I don't know. Other than just, like, it being protected areas? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can't snorkel around them. Maybe you can, like, maybe that might be the research areas. Mm. They have research areas um on on part of the national park so it might you might not be able to swim there by the sh- shipwreck coral reefs gotcha. might have been the divers that i saw hmm. i saw so many damn pictures i looked so many at so many websites <laughs> um yeah so a lot of them are basically coral reefs now and they are habitats for like crazy like this weird thing called a it was called a jewfish i don't know what that means <laughs> That was the name, I swear. Okay. Um, we are not anti-Semitic here. No. There are actually two shipwrecks that the park rangers keep a secret because they want to protect those eco- ecosystems from being disturbed. Mm-hmm. So, there's a little secret ecosystem. But that's my, sto- my, my little my thing I bet those about dry tortugas. So the what? I bet those secret ones are so cool. I know. I have... I want to go so bad. Like, I was just, like, looking at... I looked at all the pictures of the fort, and it just looks like... Let me just show you, because... Uh, it's not worth doing it on there. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's... If we're about to the one hour. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well... <laughs> Our hour is ending. <clears throat> Time to... Alright. Well, I will look at those stories later. Oh no, what is going on? Oh. Um. Oh, it's okay. There we go. Um. I really liked this week. I know, me too. Yeah. Next week is conspiracy theories. Yes. Of historical events. Yeah, about historical events. I am ready to read some weird stuff and report back. <laughs> Me too. Um, so, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed these stories as much as we did. And don't forget... Watch for deer. <laughs> <laughs>